Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Velocity. This is your host, Snehal Singh. Mary Forlow once said, the key to success is to start before you're ready. This week, we are celebrating women. We also launched a book on 8th of March, Gifts of the Universe Through Women Who Lead. The book not only hit bestsellers in many countries and many categories, but the beauty about the book is 24 different women who never knew each other came together towards one simple cause of telling us how to lead. It's not about leading in our uh, you know, profession only, but it's also about leading just in our lives and being a leader of our own lives. We do have a special guest coming in today who's going to share her perspective of how does she look at the world. And we're going to have some amazing, witty, wise, wondrous conversations with her. Who am I talking about? Today I have with us Dr. Dion Mills-Silic. Uh, she is from Gilbert, Arizona with two sons, one daughter and a loving husband of 13 years of her relationship. So let's, have, let's get to know her a little bit more. First of all, Dion, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here and giving your precious time to all of us. Uh, I just know a little bit about you in terms of, you know, okay, you are a doctor and this is what you do and this is your family, but tell us a little bit more about who are you? Well, I think with, as everyone, everybody has a mixture of identities. Um, no one has just one identity, I think, but, you know, for me, uh, I, if I look at myself, I see myself as this combination of the product of um, immigration and um, race and class and just, you know, so many identities. So I identify as a Christian, I identify as a, a Black woman, I identify as a wife who's been with my husband for 16 years, I, you know, married for 13 years. I identify myself as a mother, I identify myself as a physician. Um, but then I also identify myself as a women's health advocate, as a an equity champion as, um, you know, somebody who um, feels obligated to practice radical empathy and really use love as a verb. And so, um, yeah, many, many uh, identities, I think. And so, you know, I, I think I would more describe myself under those headings um, because just saying, you know, you're a physician doesn't really can mean so many things, you know? Absolutely. I could relate to a few things that you said, you know, especially when you were talking about uh, being an immigrant, when it comes to race, when it comes to, uh, you know, establishing yourself when it, it, where, where there are some expected results out of, you know, women and, uh, you know, defying those odds and moving forward. So if I had to ask you, what's your story? Where did it all begin? What would you say? I think it all began in Trinidad. It all began with me, um, you know, growing up on an island that is just a, a conglomeration of so many different cultures all in one, um, where I really got to just be. And I think when I always think back and I always look at all of the advocacy work I do now, I think back to the time when um, I didn't have to spend so much energy on just being. And I don't think that's just because I was a child at the time. I used to think it's just because obviously you're a kid, everything is happy and nice and you're sheltered in that innocence. But when I look back, I think it all began with a foundation of 
really knowing that there is the possibility, the reality of being able to just be an individual human being um, without um, being burdened with a whole lot of labels or expectations or assumptions. Um, so I think it, it starts with that. And um, as I go through life and I do things that I think surprises people or you know, um, confuses people or inspires people, for me, it just seems like, well, that's just how it should be. And I always think it's because of Trinidad. And I, you know, um, my desire to become a physician started in, started in Trinidad. My, my desire to want to be a mother started in Trinidad. My desire to, uh, you know, everything I think started there. So, so I think that's, that's where it starts, not just chronologically, but um, I think identity wise. And so I'm so grateful for that foundation that I had there that really allowed me to be what um, such a, the individual that I am now. That is that you said it so beautifully. But what I also see in here is uh, you have so many facets to your personality. As you said, you know, there are so many titles and so many roles that you keep playing and you keep shifting between them as well, because uh, you know, it's not possible to just stay in one role for a really, really long time. Not even during the day you switch different roles. So yeah. tell me, how did you know what your calling was? How, did you always knew that you're going to be this? Or how was that journey? How did you find your calling? Um, so for a couple different callings, I guess. So when it comes to the calling of... Uh, um, being a physician, I just knew and I declared it per my family. I declared it to them when I was three that I was going to be a physician. And my earliest memories were of just knowing that that's what I was going to do. Before I even think I knew, I mean, how did I know what a physician really was? My mother uh, was a dentist in Trinidad. So you'd think I would be like, oh, I'm going to be a dentist. But it's not like if I went to work with her and saw what she was doing. Um, you know, when I talk to my family, they tell me that I would watch those commercials of, um, you know, those children, you know, either starving or suffering in third world countries, and I would just cry. And that's the other thing is I, I'm, you know, people laugh and joke about being an empath. But for me, that truly is what I am. And it, it's actually very hard to be an empath, because you truly feel the, the, the pain of the world. And I think, that story of me at three years old crying about those commercials kind of just was a good example of that to where my family had to try to not have me watch certain commercials um, because I just I just felt it. So maybe somewhere I connected, you know, being a physician means I could help other people somewhere I connected it. But once I, to me, I almost feel like I it, God just whispered it to me, like, this is what you're going to do. And I was like, okay. Um, so being an empath and, and having that certainty. So I always had a certainty that this is what I was going to do. Um, and I just, I mean, my, my, my nickname growing up was Dr. D because that's what everybody knew I was going to do because that's what I always said. Um, so it was just, you know, it just made sense. Um, so that identity. And then I was always the one in the household. You know, I come from a very big family. My grandmother had 10 kids. You know, my, mom, my dad is the oldest of 10. My mother is one of six and we always had tons of cousins and lots of kids around. So I was always like a mother 
the one of the mother people, mother yeah. characters. <laughs> I'm the oldest of five, so I was always like one of the parents. So my I my earliest memories was that my identity was going to be mother and doctor. Um, and I guess I just, I guess once I've decided on something, then I, <laughs> that's just what I was going to do. So everything that I've done moving forward has always been um, toward that end. Even how I pick, you know, a, a, a little summer job, I picked jobs that taught me something that could help me in the future and made me a little bit of money. I never just wanted to accomplish one goal at the same, at a time. I always wanted to like be multitasked with, with, with things. Um, so I think it was a very organic, you know, just sense of myself. Um, I know I'm a very unusual person. And I say that because that's what I've been told, you know, my whole life, you know, that whole, I don't know if you've heard like the saying of old soul, you know, I was always the one with the, you know, the more adult sensibilities, even as a child, I would talk with the adults more than I would talk with the other kids. I always had this sense of, um, more than just what I can see, if that makes sense. So um, even when I was in junior high and high school and everybody was like falling into peer pressure and stuff, I just remember looking around going, don't they know that like, this is gonna be over in a few years. I've got, I've got bigger things to do. Cause in my head, since three, I was a doctor, right? So I'm just seeing this as a stepping stone. So I would be the one who'd be like, you can make fun of me because I'm wearing thrift store clothes. I don't care. I have better grades than you. Let's keep it moving. Whereas like sometimes my siblings or other people around me were just being normal teenagers where they're like, I don't want to wear that. Or I don't want to be seen like that. For me, it was almost like I just had this always like out of body, third view perspective. Like this is not all there is to life. And I always kind of moved through life that way. Um, and my siblings will attest to that. Um, and I think that really helped me because I just avoided so many pitfalls that, you know, that come along with having a very myopic view of things. Uh, so I think I always, whenever I talk to kids and I say, when I do talk to the teenagers, I always tell them it's never too early to have a vision. When you have vision early, it really just helps you to see that long game and you actually get to have blinders for a lot of the immediate distractions as you go around because you already know where you're where you're heading to so absolutely i i i i so connect with everything that you said especially when you're talking about empaths i literally had goosebumps because i think i connect with what you're saying and how we look at the world and the, the pain that we feel which tells us that there is more to life there is not just this it does help us create those you know as you said the blinders that our vision just stays where it is and we know where we're heading it it does work out most of the times yeah. However, I, I think with all that you're doing and all that you have achieved in your journey so far, when, when we read, read your chapter, we do get in a sense of it has not been a smooth ride. It has definitely been adventurous. So any such moment where you feel you had an epic failure and if you would like to share that, you know, uh, what you felt, how did you get through it? You know, I think that for the most part, I've been fortunate with, you know, having the, I guess, mental acuity to do well all the time. Not to say that it's easy. Like, you know, I had to struggle in math. I had to definitely put in extra work to get the grade that some other people in my class would get like in their sleep. So it's not like if everything came easy, but I think um, what always ended up making me just nothing, 
I was never fully discouraged, except the times that I see the recurring um, instance of being discouraged is when I would see the structures around me that were constantly there to get in my way. And I have no control over that. I have control over um, how hard I study for a test, um, you know, how much I prepare. But when I see that, you know, I came into something with way less advantage than people around me and I'm expected to perform the same, that's when I would get frustrated or, you know, I would not get certain information that people around me got and and I had to kind of hear it third hand because I wasn't deemed worthy of such information that would have helped me. That's when, that's been the overarching challenge, I think, for my life. Um, did I always get 100% on tests? No. Um, I don't think I've had any, you know, true epic failures as far as a tangible sense. I mean, there's some tests that I had to redo, you know, I mean, we've had how many board exams in my life and how many, you know, but I always, you know, I always managed to succeed because I, I was determined that I would do what I needed to do to get it done. So that wasn't the problem. But the times when I truly found myself, um, truly found myself sitting in discouragement was when I had that sense of there's things, there's once again, there's this roadblock that's in my way that, that has nothing to do with me individually, but just because of how I look or because I'm a woman or because of something that I have no control over, that if I just didn't have that, I wouldn't have to work you know, as hard as I already have to work just because everybody has to work hard. Um, and that's when I would feel kind of down and discouraged and have to like psych myself up and, uh, you know, work harder. And and there were times when I would be angry about that. Resentful of the world and truly resentful of the fact that um, it was even necessary for me to have to deal with certain things that other people just are clueless about. So that's kind of, I think, been the biggest challenge um, in my life. And that's just a, the, the constant through line amidst all the other stuff that everybody has to deal with, which is frustrating. <laughs> Absolutely. But I hear you because somewhere, I think that's what kept you going no matter what, because uh, at times we do look at failures as huge setbacks and we sometimes doubt ourselves, but you did have that clarity of understanding that, okay, this is not in my control. I will do what is in my control and just staying true to that simple thing gets us through many obstacles is, is what I believe in as well. Um, as, as I said, your, your story in the book has been incredible. It's who you are and you have been sharing that absolutely with no filter, it's raw, it's real. Uh, if you had to give just one simple advice or something that you wanna share with our audience as a takeaway, what would you say? I would say that um, I would say that it's important that we all educate ourselves about how the world works, um, and really strive to see the world for how it really is. So many people have opinions. So many people have uh, perceptions that they never think wants to think, okay, are these opinions actually founded in reality or founded in fact, or is it just me and my bubble? And, um, and so many people then don't feel obligated to making anything better. Um, so my one takeaway is that there are things that people are dealing with 
that you may not be dealing with, but are truly there and uh, don't ever be so comfortable in your privilege to not be hungry for things to be better. So educating yourself about how the world works. And I think that's kind of what I talk about in the book is that after seeing certain things for what they are and learning and have, how, to, how to manage through them, my, my yearning as, a, as an adult was to just continue to just get flashlights out and shine lights to all of those things, be the truth teller and say the things in the room that nobody wants to say that they say afterward, oh, thanks for saying that. I was always that person because we need everybody to actually see the world for how it is. So if we're ever going to make any progress, if we're ever gonna break down those barriers that other people have to trudge through all the time, it, you can't solve a problem, you can't. I'm a physician, if I don't know the diagnosis, how am I supposed to treat something I, I didn't diagnose, all right? I can't treat your diabetes if I didn't know you have diabetes. So we need to all know what the problem is for really what the problem is so that we could hopefully be inspired to change it, to fix it, and then know how to do that. So that would be my thing is to, in our own everyday lives, we all can break down barriers and we all can make things better for other people, but we first have to see it, you know, see it in reality. I totally, totally, totally agree with you. Uh, I think that's such a beautiful thought, guys. See the world for what it is and educate yourselves about the world. It's not just about knowing yourself, but it is also understanding what is needed. And one beautiful thing that you said, which I would love to repeat here is, don't be so comfortable in everything that you've got that you don't see what is missing. Because I think that's where progress stops. That's where we, you know, people who are privileged or have the luxury are not doing a little bit, you know, towards the world and giving and sharing and so on. So thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing that. One last question I have for you, which is my favorite question and anyone who comes to the show always uh, gets it. And that is, how do you want to be remembered? What do you think your legacy should be? I think that I want to be remembered for two things. Maybe one is that I showed through my example that love is a verb, that it's saying things and you know calling yourself a kind person or good, whatever you wanna call yourself um, is not enough. You have to be able to say at the end of the day, what did you do to really exercise the verb of love when it comes to not just your family, but just your community and humanity. Um, and then also that um, I would like to be able to have somebody say that my existence on this planet, on this earth, um, pushed the world or at least my space somewhat closer toward um, understanding, toward justice, toward equity. Um, and that I, that this empath practice radical empathy, which is um, getting into those spaces that are uncomfortable and bracing, bearing them and bearing witness to them so that um, others can hopefully not have as much of a burden in the future. So if, if that could be said, and that I'm a good mom, that would be another good thing. <laughs> um, if that could be said um, about me, I think then I, I did my job. I, I love, love, love that. And I think I am probably gonna quote you on that. But, it, you know, it just connected. I think it's going to stay with me for a lifetime. Love is a verb. And if we can remember that, it's more about acting rather than saying and talking about love and kindness and so on. 
uh, I think our conversation has been very, very, very interesting. I, I, I loved having this talk with you and I think I can go on and on, but considering the time <laughs> of our audiences, uh, what we may also do is we may just call you on one more time to just continue this conversation, guys. Um, but yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious time. And more importantly, thank you for sharing just who you are uh, through uh, Gifts of the Universe, through Women Who Lead, because I personally uh, would say that I felt inspired by this, you know, just reading through your story. So thank you. And thank you for thank being you for a part of the crazy book. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So guys, that is Dr. Dion Milsilic for you. And just before I go, remember that we all are born abundant. All we need to do is claim that abundance by taking one step at a time. Take care, guys. I'll see you very, very, very soon.